You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Mike Chappell. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins with us on the board as well. And uh, Mike, the biggest news from this past week, the Colts have announced their next Ring of Honor member. That will be defensive end Dwight Freeney, the 11th overall pick in 2002 out of... Cues. That's right. The Cues. You know that was my reaction to the news because Mike tweeted That's it out. That's one reason I, I, I lobbied her to say not to put him in there, but it didn't work. <laughs> because I would be insufferable. But to be honest, I'm insufferable anyway. So nevertheless, uh, Dwight Freeney will be the next member of the Colts Ring of Honor. Certainly a deserved award from a player who meant so much to the defense for, for a decade plus. And we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but a lot of people thought, hey, how about putting Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis in together? because they were this tandem throughout the 2000s, and it makes sense, and it also detracts from each one. Right. I so think that's so the give, them their, give them their moment individually. And, and that's as, as much as those two guys would still be honored if you put them in together, and as important as they were as a pair, I, I found it hard to believe that Jim Irsay would ever do that to either of them, just because he doesn't want even the appearance of slighting either of these two guys that meant so much to the franchise. Now, he did this back in, what year was it, 2013. He put Dickerson and Falk in at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's different. It's just different with these guys. These are lifelong Colts. Obviously, Freeney went and played elsewhere. Uh, but again, you, you look at this, and, and Joe's chronicled this, uh, for, and what's crazy, first defensive player in, in, the, in the Ring of Honor. That surprised me. Well, it, it, it does until you think about how this franchise was driven through the 2000s. It was Manning and Harrison and James and Reggie and Clark and on and on and on. Uh, 11th overall pick in 2002, retired in uh, 18 as a Colt after playing, I don't know who's his last name, was it Seattle? Let he played for up. four or five teams yeah, after, it, yeah. Chargers, Cardinals. Might have been the Falcons. Oh, he, went, he went to the Super Bowl with the Falcons. Right. I remember covering that when I was already with a nice Freeney swan song because he had a sack and a pressure. Yeah. And then, and they, then forgot, they forgot to close the yeah. door. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. But uh, what, second all-time in Colt Sacks with 100 and, what is it, 107 and a half, 18th all-time. Uh, whenever you get in, like, top 20 all-time of anything – Seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. So I just think it's a resume that's pretty impressive. Is it Seattle, Joe, that it was the last team? Do you know? Well, 2017 was his last season. He did play in Seattle, but it looks like Detroit Lions was okay. actually the last team. He went and to camp maybe with them or yeah. got signed late, he, he, but he never played. Yeah, it, he, he didn't no tackles or anything, so it doesn't look like he really did anything with the Lions. So last sack was as a Seattle Seahawk. Mention you uh, – you, you mentioned, rather, Dwight Freeney being right there, top 20 in sacks, and Robert Mathis right behind him, uh, all-time in the NFL, 18th and 19th. And right now, I, like, I'm looking at the list right now of all-time sack leaders. Of course, sacks became a stat. I believe it was 1982 when that became Correct. official. Um, but you go down this list, and those two guys, Freeney and Mathis, are right on the precipice of Hall of Fame worthy or not Hall of Fame worthy because I believe everybody above them except for Leslie O'Neill at 13th, is either in the Hall of Fame or is certainly going to the Hall of Fame. Um, the guys who have not made it yet, Julius Peppers, will absolutely be there. He's fourth all-time. Um, Demarcus Ware is eighth all-time. He'll be there. Jared Allen and John Abraham, or maybe a little bit, they would have to wait. 
But both of those guys still got after the quarterback as good as anybody during their day. But then you go, and Terrell Suggs as well is in the top 20. Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis come right after Derek Thomas at 17th in this list, top 20. And then after them is a huge run of people who are not NFL Hall of Famers. You go to Simeon Rice, Clyde Simmons, Sean Jones, Greg Townsend, Pat Swilling, all guys who could get after the quarterback but are not Hall of Famers. So, like I said, these guys are right on that Hall of Fame line. Mike, I'd imagine it's probably going to be you uh, pleading the case for these guys, perhaps, in front of the Hall of Fame voters in the future. And what's going to be difficult is is how much will the rest of the people in the room, the Hall of Fame selection room, hold it against each one that they had the other guy playing with them? I mean, it, it's it's an argument, but then, you know, I, I, I just think that on their own, that, like I said, they're right there, the Hall of Fame worthy. One thing that people need to keep in mind, I say, oh, he's a no-doubt, no-brainer Hall of Famer. Kevin Green is third with 160 sacks. It took him five years to get in. It did. Uh, Richard Dent, 137 and a half sacks. It took him nine years to get in. So to think these guys are going to be slam dunk first ballot, the, the one guy that I argued, not argued against, but I didn't agree with was Jason Taylor was a first ballot guy a couple years ago. And I think... We could argue whether he's a Hall of Famer. I, I never thought he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Certainly not. But but not in my opinion. Sacks are are going to be a little bit like the wide receivers with the yards and all this. It's it's somewhat hard to quantify whether they belong. It's so much of Freeney's career, which is really kind of funny. Where well, but he wasn't very good against the run. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he's a he's a pass rusher, and I want sacks. <laughs> I, I just want sacks. And it, it's it's like. A, We'll talk about this guy later on too. Tarek Glenn, I was looking at his stats one the last week, and he had like seventy six false starts in his career. That's a ton. Oh yeah. How many times did Peyton Manning get whacked from the blind side? You know, hardly any. Mm-hmm. So it, it's what you want out of a player. Was Freeney a one trick pony? I think he was better at the run than people gave him credit for. But again, you you brought him in to make to make those three plays. And some games, that's what they did. There, there were I can think of a handful of games. There was a game in Miami where he and Mathis did almost nothing. And in the, in the fourth quarter, they're down, and, and Miami's driving. And Freeney gets to Brian Greasy, sack strip, game turns around. That's what you want from these guys. And he had, I think Freeney also had like 40-some forced fumbles. And Robert Mathis has the league record of, of sacks off of forced fumbles, I think it's 45 or 46, whatever it is. 54. Is that what it is? So, 54 forced fumbles, all-time leader. We'll talk ad nauseum. This league is about, and you hear coaches, well, you never know which play it is, blah, blah, mm-hmm. 60 plays, 120 plays. But it's those three or four that just turn games around. Uh, you, you know, you, you play to a certain point, and then who makes the play? And Freeney made the plays, and Mathis made the plays, and Again, whether they both get in, whether neither get in, the important thing is for them to get into the discussion. I say get get in the room, get into the discussion, and then we'll see. But uh, for what he brought into the to the NFL, that you know the spin move, and he was what six one two sixty eight, a different type of defensive end. Would if he goes somewhere else, does he have that kind of career? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's it was the perfect fit, the perfect time, and we can go back through Dungey's. Uh, defensive career here, how many players were the perfect fitness? And they got guys 
that, that maybe weren't on other people's boards or not that high because they fit, you know, Gary Brackett, Melvin Bullitt, on and on and on. Cato June. So Freeney was the right guy at the right time, and what a career. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I was just going to say a lot of the pass rushers today have these guys to thank. I mean, how many times do you see a 240-pound defensive end go first round nowadays? Because mm-hmm. if you can use your speed to get to the quarterback – that's all that matters, and that was not the common thinking back when these guys were entering the league. Yep, they kept getting bigger and bigger because offensive linemen <clears throat> excuse me, kept getting bigger and bigger, so you had a 320, 330-pound offensive tackle, and if you had a 250-pound Dwight Freeney, he could get right past him. And like you said, Mike, it, it was a fit here in Indy. Like He did exactly what they wanted him to do. In- indoors, turf, yep. get the lead. If... If there's one thing that separates him from maybe other people on this sack list, him and Mathis both, it is, it, in my opinion, it is those turnovers. It is those fumbles that he forced. Getting Peyton Manning and the offense more possessions. Because those two guys did that better than anybody. And if you get those turnovers, you get those takeaways, you give them a couple more possessions, it just makes your offense all the more do- damaging, all the more dominant. And so, so like you say, fit is so important. I still maintain, and nobody in this town seems like agrees with me, but I still maintain that Bjorn Werner would have been a good NFL player if he had gone somewhere that was a better fit for him because he played in college in the 4-3 at Florida State. I saw him during his career at Florida State when I was living in Tallahassee, and he was dominant in the 4-3 as a defensive end. They tried to make him a 3-4 outside linebacker. He didn't have the football history and proper knowledge, and injuries hurt him as well to make that switch. So, so bringing up the fit for for Freeney, I think, is a is a good discussion to have because he did everything the Colts wanted him to, and that's exactly why he is certainly a Ring of Honor member for the Colts because for this franchise, he was one of the best in history, and he fit exactly what they asked him to do. Yeah, and you talk you talk Bjorn Werner. What about maybe Jerry Hughes? Yep. Uh, although I would say that they they ran the three four and the four three here. They gave him chances in both type of schemes. It didn't work. He goes somewhere else. But again, it, it's I always come back to you know. Football's a lot like life. It's timing. It's right place, right time. And if you're in that right place and right time, it, it, and then you put forth, if you have the talent and you put forth the effort, we always used to enjoy Dwight Freeney like on Wednesday or Thursdays in the locker room because he just sort of was a free spirit, kind of said what he wanted to say. Now, the problem with Dwight Freeney, when we ever did a story on Dwight, is you had to fact check him. <laughs> Maybe this is a Syracuse thing. Hey now, <laughs> but but I did a story once on his his first sack or a sack against Tom Brady or whatever when they played Michigan at when Dwight was a freshman or a sophomore. And he said, "Yeah, I said I got him and this that and the other." And I'm thinking, well, maybe I better check. Mm-hmm. No tackles, no pressures. Oh no. So, but but that, that that's Dwight. I mean, some guys Peyton Manning would tell you something and you just believed it. Some guys and Dwight was one of them that he he sort of had a casual relationship with the truth <laughs> but uh what a great guy and again it, it's it'll be a great i think what's going to be cool on november 10th is how many of his teammates will be back for this mm-hmm. you'll see a lot and there are now going to be two syracuse players in the ring of honor joining marvin harrison just pointing that out there a pair of orange in the in the Colts ring of honor so mike it brings up the question which syracuse player will enter the ring of honor i mean which indianapolis colts player will enter Steve the ring Ishmael of honor is not going in the <laughs> ring of honor i'm sorry zaire franklin making it one day but but there are there are several different um candidates for who could the colts next put in their ring of honor uh none of them are you have to put him in like Peyton Manning has to go in as soon as possible. 
Um, you can make a case for a lot of these different players, uh, whether it's Tark Glenn, Robert Mathis, Bob Sanders, Dallas Clark, maybe some of the older Colts like a Eugene Daniel, a Jeff Herod, Ray Donaldson. All those players certainly left their impact on this franchise. Mike, are there any there that you think stand out more than others? Like this person should be in the ring of honor for the Colts without a question. If I had to prioritize as far as worthiness, Mathis, career, you know, for a lot of what we said with, Fre- with Freeney, mm-hmm. Tarek Glenn, I, and, and again, I, th- th- I'm, I'm beating the dead horseshoe on this, but I, I hope at some point Jim Mercer does find a way to get an old an old time Colt in there. There was football before '98, before mm-hmm. Peyton came to town, and the problem with some of these players, and, and I, I've mentioned them, Eugene Daniel, Jeff Harrod, Ray Donaldson, even it, it's it's they 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 were very good players on perennially bad teams. Well, that's not their fault. I looked at Eugene Daniel, 13 seasons. That's tied for third most in franchise history. 198 games, that's fourth most. That includes the Baltimore days. Mm-hmm. 35 or whatever's interceptions, it's third on the list. But from his career, 84 to 96, they were 85 and 122. Could these guys be victims of the Colts' 2000 success? Maybe if, sure. that, yeah, if that team wasn't no, successful, qu- those guys would have no gone No question. In. Jeff Harrod. Uh, who who was something of a forgotten Colt? He was until Darius Leonard last year breaks his. Then he kept hearing his name, like that's the right. Well, and again, let's one thing: ten seasons, eleven hundred and forty nine tackles, and he had the he had the official record of one sixty in nineteen ninety one that Darius Leonard broke. Right before the NFL and the Colts and all teams revised tackle stats, Jeff Rod had two hundred credited him in in nineteen ninety four. The next year, 186. These were coaches' videos. Now, the league's gone back and the team's gone back and to unify them because tackles is one of the squirreliest stats. Jeff wasn't really happy that they revised him down, which I can understand that. either, yeah. But 200 tackles. I mean, th- that was coaches' videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ray Donaldson, four pro, pro bowlers. So my, my, my point's always been there was football before Peyton Manning. Now, it certainly wasn't as good or at that level. But don't penalize the players. The problem we've got is that there's there's this pipeline now of more recent cults, like you mentioned, uh, with, with Tariq Glenn, Robert Mathis, Bob Sanders, Dallas Clark. I hope Tariq Glenn, I mean, he's been waiting. He's been out since his last year was 06, the Super Bowl season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Bowl champion, three pro-, pro bowlers, probably in my mind one of the more under- appreciate or recognize Colts for sure during that run an interesting one is Bob Sanders it really is no player was probably more instrument single player instrumental than the Super Bowl than Bob Bob Sanders he misses most of the season comes back and the defense does a 180 I always mention too because I like the guys Rob Morris also joined that defense again and he had a big big to do about it defensive player of the year but in seven seasons, that's 112 regular season games. Bob Sanders played 48. He missed 64 games. He missed more than he played. That's four seasons. Yeah. He missed four complete seasons. So is that enough? I don't know. Dallas Clark, the, the most productive tight end in Colts history. But I put him third behind Glenn and Mathis, ahead of Sanders. And I put him behind at least one of these old-time Colts. So 
we'll see how they want to do it. My, my plea, and I'll, I'll keep saying, is don't forget the guys prior to 98, and we'll see yeah. if that bears fruit. Robert Mathis will be up there at some time. There's yeah. no doubt. I don't I don't know if they put him back-to-back, if they're putting in somebody else next year and if they decide Freeney's this year. And I, I don't know if you go back-to-back with Mathis. But it would be fitting to put Tark Glenn up there right next to Peyton Manning, you know, on his left side, you know, and then <laughs> the stadium, just, just because that, that was what it was for, for so many years. And I think – and we've brought it up before about, about Tark Glenn and his false starts. Um, I think he's underappreciated – because so many times during a broadcast, the fans who are watching it, they hear his name associated with false starts more so. And rarely for offensive linemen do you hear their names on an NFL broadcast. So you keep hearing his name, you hear false start. You hear his name, you hear false start. So it puts him in that light. It makes him viewed in the more public eye as, I don't want to say a failure by any Deficient. stretch. But yes, exactly. And then... He still stayed with the team for a decade and protect Peyton's man, Peyton Manning's blindside for that long for a very good reason is because he was not deficient. It's because he was very good at what he did. And I remember talking to Howard Mudd about this, and in his own language, which we won't repeat, he said what they what when you watch the tape, he said Tarek Glenn wasn't ahead of the snap. He was on the snap. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was a half a tick slow. So it looks like he's, and yeah, you know, I believe Howard because Howard, I tell you. Whatever Howard does, he does not coddle his lineman. We'll see how that works moving forward. But he treated Tariq Glenn harshly. He pushed him, and he, and he was on him. And that, that's what kind of – and Tariq sort of, you know, it, it motivated Tariq at some level either to prove his coach wrong or this is what I need. Some players, it doesn't help. It helped Tariq Glenn. I just the, – the fact that we're – you know, Mathis has been out since whatever – Three years? He's been out three years, two years? I think two seasons. And Freeney out a season. Tarek's been out for over 10 years. So one one question we always have in the Hall of Fame room is, should guys have to wait? Well, they do. So I, I think Tarek has waited longer. I, I would put mm-hmm. him in next just because he's been waiting longer if you don't want to go off the rail and take one of my old-time guys, which I'm skeptical they're going to do that. I wish they would. But, uh, again, let's not get away from Freeney was well-deserving. Mm-hmm. I'm still stunned that it was the first defense player. I had, I had to go back and look at my list. I, I said, that, that can't be right. <laughs> but it, uh, you, Tony Dungy was sort of a defensive coach. But uh, th- this will start to change again with Mathis and maybe Sanders. I think he's got a tougher road With to the home. impact that he had on that one year, and that one year being so important in Indianapolis history. No, uh, oh, sorry, oh, I remember Sanders. Yes. Right. I, I think it's a I think it's an easy case to put him up there. I don't think you'll hear a lot of people complaining, even if he missed more games than he played during his well, career. I, and it's a little different because at the time they needed people up there. But Jim Harbaugh, yeah, he's really up there for one reason. Nineteen ninety five, right? I think his record as a Colt starter was twenty two and twenty six, but they caught lightning in a bottle. And I'm telling you, I was on the field in Pittsburgh when Aaron Bailey almost caught that ball. And to this day, that's a game. The Super Bowl is a game the Colts would have won because Dallas was was ripe. But for the most part, Jim Harbaugh is on that Ring of Honor for half of that season and, and maybe half of the next season. Is that enough to get on a Ring of Honor? I don't know. Uh, the problem with Bob Sanders, if you want to call it a problem, is they've got guys who they were they were as successful and for a longer period of time. But again, to, to think they would have won a Super Bowl without Bob Sanders is delusional. So when you look even further forward in the Ring of Honor, it's 
certainly very speculative now, but players who are currently Colts who could maybe be up there one day. Joe put this ever so uh, fantastic uh, point of discussion in our in our rundown here because we all know what's going to happen 10 years from now, but still, nevertheless, uh, current Colts that you think are Ring of Honor capable players, Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton, obvious choices. Mm-hmm. Adam Vinatieri broke the scoring record while here, has been here 10-plus years. I'd imagine even though, for the NFL standpoint, his biggest kicks came while he was a member of the Patriots, that Jim Irsay will probably put Adam Vinatieri up there or or whoever decides that. And it's not just Jim Irsay. But, oh, I bet it is. Yeah, I, I'm sure <laughs> that he, he has the ultimate say about who goes in there. Um, Joe, you wrote down Anthony Costanzo here. He's going into his ninth season with the Colts. And you put a question mark by it, to be fair. I'll, I'll let you have that. But For the record, I don't think I made that list there. I oh, okay, I, maybe I, I, I made okay, that list. Mike added that to our rundown. Mike, sneaking it in there. But uh, Anthony Costanzo, again, in the Tark Glenn Vane, Mike, is an, is an underappreciated player who who protects the blind side of the quarterback. You rarely see the QB get hit from his, from his backside. And But Anthony has never made a Pro Bowl, which is a little stunning to me that he's never made a Pro Bowl, not even as an alternate for anything. Um, so, so Go ahead. I, I don't put him in Tariq Glenn's category. Right. I, I don't. If, if there's a notch below, that's what he is. That was, a, that was my fourth name because with this group, there's not much below this. Pat Mac, I, I, we could have put Pat McAfee in there. Does he belong up there? I mean, we'll see. Maybe almost for his entertainment value as much as anything. Yeah, he's probably he's still the most productive and prolific punter in team history. So as as much as he sort of draws attention to himself, he's a pretty damn good punter too. They're going to make yeah. it. They're going to call it the Pat McAfee tailgate. So, right. so he'll he'll have that there name in the future somewhere else, <laughs> or the Pat McAfee beer stand uh, somewhere around the stadium. If I went down this list and looked at. If everybody continues the career arc as they, as they do, the ones that'll go in order is or Vinatieri. Of course, he has to retire. Yeah, he yeah. he's played. So he, he won't get in the Ring of Honor. He'll never retire. Right, but that's one thing with the with the Hall of Fame as well. He's got he's got to quit playing and then wait five years. But I, I think what he, he's now played thirteen years, I believe, in Indy. Certainly longer it, it, than it was. It's, it's yeah. kind of like with the Colts in Baltimore. The Colts have been in Indy longer. Yep, and Vinatieri's been with the Colts longer than New England. Again, like you said, his his career highlights, the, the main ones are in New England, but he's done incredible stuff as well here. T.Y. Hilton, if he plays another five or six, seven years, he'll, he'll be, he's not going to challenge, I don't think, Marvin or, or Reggie's career numbers. Andrew Luck, if he plays another 10 years, which you know he'll, he'll approach that. He's a lock as well, so they've got that next wave of players, and then, and then we'll see that you know it, it's way too early to talk about the Leonard's and the Quentin Nelsons. Right, but, we'll get to that. Right, but, <laughs> not but, now. But th- this is a good this is a good bridge to the next group because these are four quality players, and again of the list, Costanzo's fourth on the list, but he's still a quality player. But seem there's nobody who's retiring in the next couple years. It seems like who could enter this this group. So we have our group set for now of players that. The Colts could decide to put in the Ring of Honor. It doesn't seem like there's going to be any new additions in the immediate future. I just can't think of anyone off the top of my head that it's going to be. It's right, we've unless t- Vinatieri retires in the near future, which well, I'm, I'm putting that one on the back burner. And, and, and I, I won't rule out him playing this year. Then that's it. I don't know, but he always says as long as I'm a an asset and not a liability, he lives here. 
He knows his team's on the cusp of something really good. He he he's one of those guys that uh, he he he's just a competitor. He loves the fact that maybe this is the year he gets that next Super Bowl ring and and makes that that last or the next last second kick. And we haven't seen people disagree with me. We really haven't seen in my mind a decline in his ability. Had the bad game in Kansas City. Well, so did Luck, and so did the offensive line, and mm-hmm. sort of everybody. Join the club. Join the club. So if if you want to trash him on that, feel free. But uh, I just think that may, maybe this is it for him. But I think the one stat that's really cool about Vinatieri, he's one of only four players ever in league history to play at age forty six, and, and they don't keep you around because they like you. They keep you around because you're still pretty good. And he might be the second player ever to make two ring of honors for the P- Patriots and the Colts. Uh, the only other one is Reggie White with the Eagles and Packers. Very deserving for Reggie White, unquestionably. Well, obviously, guys, one day they're going to put the Colts 2019 rookie class in the ring of honor because they already won the draft, so says ESPN. So you might as well just buff that spot out. Kuyper's got him going to the Super Bowl. Yes, he does. So get, get a spot up there in the rafters as well. Another banner to hang. Uh, make sure it's ready there. But those rookies got their first chance to be on the field in Indianapolis this past weekend with the Colts rookie minicamp. The group of 10 draft picks, about 10 to 15 other signed free agents and a group of about 40 other players in on a tryout basis just to try to prove that they belong. A couple guys from that group got signed as free agents again. A couple I think guys. four did four. Mm-hmm. I think like it was four. four. Four of the players came in, correct? Mm-hmm. So we got we got our first chance to see the Colts rookies at minicamp. And from, Mike, what you saw out there at practice, you're out there a little bit more often than I am or than uh, this, us on the TV side. We go, we shoot as much as the Colts allow us, which is like 10 men. She's like, okay, see you guys later. And then we, we head back and we edit the video. But you're out there a bit longer yourself. What did you see from this Colts rookie class at camp? First first impressions, just from, from talking to these guys, very personable, very very well-spoken, which I don't want to overblow that because you know, because of what it is. But just from what, just seeing them up close, the size of the linebackers. Mm-hmm. These guys... You know, there's question defensive end linebacker. You look at the size of it when you're standing next to him. You understand why. EJ Speed, it says six three two twenty seven. He looks bigger. Uh, ben Banaju, Banaju, Banagu, Banagu. Okay, ben Banagu. As long as I spell it correctly, I'm okay. Six three two fifty. He looks bigger. And Bobby Okariki, these guys are huge. They're, they're just big. Uh, and the first thing you know is about Paris Campbell. He sort of compared himself to uh, T.Y. Hilton's size and speed. I, and I said, not size. No, he's not. He, he's listed at six foot 205. He's probably a shade taller and maybe a little heavier. T.Y. Hilton is probably listed at 5'10", 180, 185. I don't know what it is. Paris Campbell is bigger. He just is. He's thicker. And when you watch him out on the field, he's quick. He, show, he showed you the speed. He showed you the route running. They worked him inside, outside. Which is what we're going to see. Maybe he he starts inside because that's where he's comfortable. They're going to move him around. There were times he and Rock Yassine uh, were going one on one, and and it was give and take that you like to see. So just a, just a really really impressive group initially, but it's kind of like Chris Ballard told us uh, the last day of the draft is it's one thing to draft them now they have to play. So so first appearance is impressive, but let's see how they assimilate into the Colts. I think. 
This is probably the uh, the chat you're going to get across the league right now. All 32 teams are going to say, oh, we love our draft class. Oh, they performed great during uh, during rookie camp. But nevertheless, I think the things that, that you can take away from this, you can take away what you mentioned between Paris Campbell and Rocky Yassine, the, the competitive uh, back and forth that those two guys had. And that's kind of what we pointed to as one of Rock's strengths in particular is, um, is he's going to fight you. Uh, and he's not going to just... I don't know how to put well, it. But. This was a kid that was a two-time state wrestling champion. Exactly, and they it's think that's and they think it's gonna. You know, when you're talking one sport transferring to another, the one-on-one, hand-to-hand that you get in wrestling, that translates really well. And when you're in press coverage on defense, and that they're going to play some press coverage this year. So uh, again, I think it's a it's it's a good first impression. And now, as as off season progresses, we'll see more and more. You're going to have on-field work. OTAs coming up, and then you're going to have the veteran mini camp, and, and then you get to training camp. Mm-hmm. And that's when you really find out what these guys can do. You put the pads on. You mentioned how everybody loves their draft class right now. I'd love to see a GM come out and say, boy, who, who, whose decision was this? This guy can't play. After one weekend, like, right. done. And, and we've had we've had rare times where a draft pick, or at least a, a, an undrafted guy has been signed. He doesn't make it out of the first mini camp. But very few of these rookies in the last few years have not made it out of training camp. What Ballard's had two, one really, Zach Banner. Mm-hmm. The other one was uh, Deion Kane, who had the injury. Right. So, so it's 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 very impressive what they've got. But let's just see what they do when they, they get with the veterans who have been here, done that. And a couple of these guys sort of mentioned that to us is, I really expect the speed to increase immeasurably. When we get out there, and it's, it's it's the veterans and everybody together. And you mentioned also the Colts maybe doing a couple things differently in in coverage with with Rockyacine wanting to do a little bit more press, wanting to play a little bit more man, and also with the size of the linebackers. I think those two things work together. Uh, Matt Eberflus wants to do some more things with the Colts defense this year. He wants to mix it up. He wants to do more man. He wants to be a little bit more creative with how he plays and where he plays. All these linebacker guys that are like hybrids and Chris Ballard joke they're going to run a radar defense all 11 guys are going to be linebackers they're all going to be standing up he was joking wasn't he I I I don't know (laughs) if he was joking he laughed afterwards but that doesn't mean he was joking one thing that they've done and we've talked in the press room about this is I'm used to probably you know wrongly is you like to know what a player is Okay, this guy's a slot receiver. Mike is he the Sam? Right. Put him in a slot for me. Right, and that too. They're, they're going to have three or four guys who you just don't know what they're going to be, and I think they're trying to have that versatility. Certainly with the linebackers, EJ Speed is going to be Darius Leonard's backup, but everyone else is sort of, sort of interchange. They use the word hybrid on several of these players. Kahari Willis, you know, he's going to be a strong side guy that maybe, maybe he plays close to in sub packages. Maybe he's that extra safety. Along with Clayton Gathers, so Jerry Green is he, or Gary Green. Gary, he's a defensive end. Another big kid, six four, two fifty two. He's probably going to be Jabal Sherrod's backup. But they can do so many things with these guys. Sort of like with like with Joe Hague on the offensive line. What is he? He's a lineman. Mm-hmm. So they want these guys to be flexible, and you know the more you can do, the better. They love to rotate players in and out. And now we're going to see. I think Ballard has drafted. Is it seven linebackers in the last three drafts? It got two in the seventh round last year. With, three this uh, year with Zaire and uh, and Matthew Adams, 
and then the year Leonard. before, and then Ant- Leonard, of course, in the second round. Yeah, Anthony so Walker in uh, in two? seventeen. Yeah, in the fifth round. Right. So that's that's three this year, three last year, and then Anthony, Anthony Walker. Walker. So so that's what we talked and we've talked before about the competitors at positions. It's gonna be tough. When you when you bring guys can do more and it gives Eberflus a chance to kind of move guys around and and see what you've got. It's a really impressive group. And I'm gonna be really interested to see how they use Banigu because I was kind of surprised when they said they were gonna put him at linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an edge pass rusher in college, so you think, oh, Colts four three, put him at defensive end, let him go get the quarterback. But they're gonna get a little more creative with him, and I can't wait to see how that plays out. And. I think that we will learn a little bit more about these guys and exactly how all this creativity is going to play out when we see them with the veterans, not just rookie camp anymore, when the veterans come back and they're all mixed in together and when they come for mandatory mini camp and certainly when it comes to training camp in late July and August. So our first impressions, good, like you would expect from everyone across the league uh, with this group in particular, just because we don't know where the linebackers or where Paris Campbell or where Kerry uh, Willis, all these guys are going to line up specifically and play. We'll learn a whole lot more about them in future dates and future practices. Well, and also, like as much as we talked about when you get into OTAs and training camp, as much sub package as these guys play, you know, 65, 70%, what's your pass rush package going to look like? Danico Autry and Justin Houston and Tyquan Lewis and and Kamoko Ture, and and, all, and then you had these guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see how, and Darius Leonard, who who showed pass rush skills last year. So And Kenny Moore, who and, showed and, pass and, rush and skills Kenny last Moore, year. The all-time Colts. <laughs> Single lead. game, postseason, or po- po- total postseason. Total postseason. Yes. I mean, really. So, uh, again, it's really interesting that you want to see how they're going to do it because they got a lot. They, they, they really elevated the defense from 30 or 32, whatever they were last year, to 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. And there's a great stat that, and I didn't bring it with me, but we'll check later on, but whenever the Colts hold the opponents to 17 points or fewer, Andrew Luck is like, he's lost one game. Yeah. So you don't have to have a, an elite defense, although they, they could get there, have a really good one, and you got a chance to really do something special. Well, obviously the Colts' offense is the bread and butter. If you help the other offense to 17 points and you win all the time, that means your offense is doing pretty well and they're scoring and you would expect that of the Colts had a great year last year in 2018, uh, finished fifth in points per game, 27.1 points per game in 2018, seventh in yards per game at 386 per game. How much better is this Colts off? Should we expect this Colts offense to be? Because the whole line comes back. You see them either, getting older or just upgrading at these positions, not getting older in a bad sense, but getting a little bit more experience from young players or upgrading at different positions or getting healthier positions like Jack Doyle coming back. They didn't lose any serious contributors to last year's team. I think we talked before the show. It's Ryan Grant, Ryan Hewitt. Okay, goodbye. Inman, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Inman is the one that was probably the most impactful who is no longer on the team but that's again that was by choice they let him go yeah because Funchess is an upgrade they then. bring in Devin Funchess and hey, we'll see sign Paris camp we'll see you, about you, you want him to be an upgrade he needs yes. to be an upgrade yeah, but, but we'll see it, right so that's what they thought about Ryan Grant too last year before I've got that list of Andre or of free agent wide receivers they brought in here if you want to go down the list one of these times <laughs> yeah please spare us it's something. terrible <laughs> I think I think it would be very reasonable to expect the Colts' offense to be better this year than last year because of all those things that I just mentioned. 
again, go back and look at it. 39 touchdowns by Luck, but second most in his career, I believe it was, mm-hmm. to 13 players tied for most in, in league history uh, as far as spreading the ball around. Five tight ends caught a, caught a touchdown pass. Eric Ebring goes off the charts, 13 receiving, one rushing, another one in the playoffs. And again, the offensive line intact for the first time in more than 10 years, I think, back in the, in the mid-2000s. And and you're going to get back what Doyle played five games, six games, I think it was, with the hip and kidney issues. Yeah. Deion Kane, who we were all on board with during training camp, is coming back from an ACL. I, I just don't know how you aren't going to be better. And I've argued, too, that you, you should see a better luck this year simply because he's going to be another year removed from missing a season. Remember, during September, he wasn't you know, on target. He wasn't at the top of his game. It took him a month to kind of get into it. A second season in the system, and a second season or a first season where he's not juggling rehab with, with practice. Remember, he didn't throw a football last year until mid-June. So for them not to be better, I, I don't know how they're not better. The running game will be better. Marlon Mack misses four games. Costanzo missed four or five games. And as much as Quentin Nelson was a generational guard, this line came together when Anthony Costanzo went to left tackle, went back to left tackle from the hamstring injury. So I just don't know how, bar, barring injury, we always have to use that in there. Of course. Barring injury, luck through 39 touchdowns. And I'll bet people can't name all 13 players. Ooh. I mean, it, it's it, you don't want to denigrate the group, but that wasn't a great group of skill players. It just mm-hmm. it simply wasn't. They had to go out in in mid October, early October, and and get Don Trail Inman, right. who who saved their bacon in November and December offensively. He really did. So I just think, barring injury, this is this is going to be a much better offense. T. Y. Hilton's used the word scary, and so did Ebron. Scary, dangerous, and. If they can keep people healthy and keep this line improving, I, I just the sky's the limit for I th- it. I think the line is going to be more of a question this year than last. Uh, last year, you only allowed 18 sacks, which was an NFL low. I don't expect that again. I think that number goes back up. It returns Quarterbacks a bit. get hit. They, yeah. they simply do. It returns to the norm. I think Braden Smith is going to be really tested this year at right tackle because last year coming out, I mean, you thought he was a guard. You weren't sure if he was a tackle, and it was Coach Googe who – kind of talked to, I guess, Chris Ballard and said, hey, I think he's a tackle. We can play him at tackle. And so they moved him out to tackle when Austin Howard didn't work out and Jamarcus Webb got injured and Denzel Good uh, had his issues earlier in the year. So you moved him there and then things worked, things stuck. This year, other coaches are going to test him a lot. A, because you don't want to test the other side of the line with Anthony Costanzo and Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly over there. So... I think this is going to be a challenge. I think a challenge is the right word. It's going to be a challenge for the right side of the Colts offensive line because other coaches are going to have a whole year of work to be able to scheme and see what they did last year and try to try to scheme around it or scheme differently to see where exactly Smith's strengths and weaknesses were. And uh, Glowinski is a guy, again, that came in and he fit very well and performed admirably last year, but 
it's just they haven't showed year-to-year consistency on that side of the line. And I think the other side, even though Quentin Nelson's just a rookie, I think that you can say that that's certainly more solid than the right side. So other teams are going to really bring pressure from that side on the line and make a big point about it. Not that they didn't last year, but this year they're going to have the the added advantage of, yes, it is going to be a target. So those guys better go into the season knowing that they have the target on their backs. I think the left side of the line might be one of the best in the league. It's probably the best they've had here since maybe Tarek, Ryan Lilja, and Jeff Saturday. It's Mm -hmm. just solid, and it's it's a nice mixture of the veteran with Costanzo and then Nelson and, and Ryan Kelly, who... It's worth noting that the team did pick up his fifth-year option. Yes. So he's not going anywhere. And the one thing, I understand your argument on Braden Smith. At the same time, he'll have an entire offseason to work at tackle. You're good point. He he, he, he went into a, a training. He, he was a guard during the offseason. He was a tackle a little in training camp because they simply were out of bodies. As you mentioned, everybody's going down. Mm-hmm. They had like four tackles hurt. And, and Gouge did see you know, possibilities, and it worked out very well. But he was th- this was a rookie thrown in at right tackle. So hopefully the fact that while other teams are, are going to game plan, they're going to test that right side, at least you're going to have a, a, an entire offseason to where Braden Smith's not trying to transition. Th- that's his position now, and we'll see if that's how it works. And you're also going to have Jack Doyle back too, who's one of the best blocking tight ends in the league, so he can certainly line up on that side and help out if necessary. But – um, anyway, you uh, you brought up briefly Eric Ebron, one of the players that we got to speak with this week. At uh, Eric Ebron loves him some Eric Ebron. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> and this year he had a lot of reason to with yes. thirteen touchdowns, fourteen total if you count the rushing score, almost a passing touchdown to Andrew Luck, but just out of the. He would have been so, so bad, uh-huh. so hard to live with. If you think that <laughs> I am hard to live with when it comes to Syracuse players making the Colts Ring of Honor. Eric Ebron throwing a touchdown pass would have been the epitome of hard to live with. But he said his goal is to break the NFL's touchdown record for tight ends, which is held by Rob Gronkowski. 17. 17 touchdowns. Got 13 receiving last year. His goal is 17. Obviously, you want to shoot for the stars. Uh, Shoot for the moon, as they say, or if you miss, you'll end up in the stars. That's at least the, the expression I've heard. So congratulations to Eric setting himself on lofty goal. I don't know if it's possible. I If you look at what Gronk did, Gronk was the target. He was the guy in that New England offense. They had other players, too, that were more possession receivers that did not score quite as many touchdowns. And that year, Brady, I think, I don't know if that was Brady's big record-setting year off the top of my head, but Gronk is their single red zone weapon. The Colts have multiple red zone weapons. Ebron's Maybe the biggest of the bunch, but you get Jack Doyle back. Now you get Devin Funches. You expect him to score a couple in the red zone as well. T.Y. Hilton kind of caught a few short touchdowns. Which remember. he hadn't done much in the past. Right. So the co- coaching staff found ways to get him the ball. Is Paris Campbell going to be a threat inside the 20-yard line in that Percy Harvin-type role? Naheem Hines had a couple of scores inside the red zone as well. I just don't... Th- I hate to throw a wet wet blanket on Eric Ebron's dreams, but I don't know if 17 is possible in this offense. Well, there's only been four tight ends in NFL history to put together back-to-back seasons with double-digit touchdowns. I think Gronk did it twice. Jimmy Graham's done it. Gates has did it. Julius Thomas. Julius Julius Thomas. Thomas. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was the fourth. So he's got a lot of history working against him for this one. Well, and again, it's kind of what – 
what Dave mentioned again. I think it's sort of we can say this about a lot of areas. Ebron can have a better year or as good a year and not have the same type of type of numbers. It's just going to be hard to, to, for 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 luck to incorporate everybody. Because again, I I keep waiting for Hilton to have that breakout touchdown season, and he really hasn't had it. He hasn't had it, and you're expecting Funches to, to add something, mm-hmm. certainly more than what what you got from Ryan Grant. And I think they're going to find ways, like you mentioned. I'm just repeating what what Paris Campbell. What do you call? Even said he's going to call him Perry. Perry, yes. So, okay. Call him Perry. Okay. So, but but I just think there's a lot of guys on his roster that can have better seasons. And maybe their numbers aren't quite there, but I, and he'll prove me wrong if he does fine. But I want to see how Eric Ebron handles success. I just mm-hmm. some guys handle it well, some guys don't. And this is after four years in Detroit where he was he caught eleven total touchdowns, basically run out of town. I mean, yeah. they, they, they if I'm not mistaken, they hit, they did the fifth year option, then they rescinded it. And I, I hope he does well. I I hope he can handle it. Some guys do, some guys don't. But if if everything is is in sync, I think you know eight, nine, maybe ten touchdowns is possible. But again, Jack Doyle, what, he missed more than half the season. He played six games, right? And you're just and again, Marlon Mack misses four games. I just think with all they've got there, it's going to be tough for all these. Maybe T.Y. Hilton can have the big year because at his position, he's going to have those. 180-yard games and 60-yard touchdowns, and, and stats pile up quickly. But you just have to step back. And this isn't homework. It's step back and looking at this group. And this this, this offense and the skill positions, they, they will rival top to bottom what the Colts had back in the 2000s. I realize that's saying a lot when you have Harrison and Edgerton and, and Reggie and all that. But this is a pretty solid group. From all, the, from all those players, do you think that – this is just just kind of a question off the top of my head. Do you think Ty is the most valuable? Like, if you lose him, you lose the most, because all the other players, it seems like you could kind of maybe fill in someone else. If Jack Doyle goes out, Eric Ebron steps up. If if Paris Campbell goes down, I, I I mean, you you didn't have him last year. If Devin Funchess goes down, Eric Ebron's kind of that red zone threat already. Ty Hilton seems to be the guy that really doesn't have a comparison, at least right now, that we have seen in this group. Agree, disagree, anybody else? I, I agree. I mean, may, maybe Paris Campbell. That's, yeah. Maybe, we'll right. see, but but you can't. We thought, again, we thought Deion Kane was going to be a top-level top player, too. He, he, T.Y. Hilton, he, it, it's just what he what he does, like you said, no one else on this It may roster. seem like an obvious question, but I, I, it just came to me. So Yeah, I think if I had to say, you know, the, the pecking order of, of irreplaceable Colts, it starts with luck. Then does it go to does it go to Ty? Does it go to Costanzo? Mm-hmm. I, it, that that's a really really good argument. They they did okay without Ryan Kelly short term, long term. I'm not sure how it would be, but Ty just does things that other players can't do. It it makes teams, you know, be aware of the deep threat and, and roll their their coverage. Although Houston never seems to do that. I mean, <laughs> does Houston not have video to watch when when they play the Colts? But I, I would argue that outside of luck, it's probably T.Y. because what he does and what he makes teams do defensively, no one else can do. And like we were talking about earlier with Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, you need guys who are game breakers. Guys who, one play, even if you hold them down for 65 plays, if for two or three plays, they beat you. 
those guys are incredibly valuable. And they're incredibly rare. And that's what T.Y. Hilton is. A rare player, a rare athlete, like guys like Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis were as well. So that's kind of... Was James Mungrow a Syracuse guy? James Mungrow was His name Syracuse just popped guy. in my mind. See what you've done to me? I, I love I'm, it. I'm, I'm Syracuse-centric now, and I've got to, you've got to quit that. My guy. I will, I will never quit it. All my life. Syracuse was voted the uh, the number one school spirit school by, I believe it was U.S. News and World Report or the Princeton Review or something like that. A year so you're, you're wearing an orange shirt next week when we I, do I this. I might. I do have a nice orange button-down shirt. Jeez. I don't wear it too often. I don't want to I don't want to break it us. out for only the most special of occasions. Maybe when <laughs> Dwight Freeney goes in to the Cold Spring of Honor on November 10th against the Miami Dolphins, I'll have to break I'll it out. I'll bet there's some Miami Dolphins that went to Syracuse. You need to research that. I will research that. I'll think through it. Let me think. Just right off the top of my head. Though, well, one that obviously is uh, Larry Zonka was a I'm Syracuse. talking active. Oh, okay. Well, I was thinking all time. I'll have to look into, into current <laughs> players as well. We'll get to that. But that's going to wrap it things up for our Colts Blue Zone podcast this week. Over the next couple of weeks, we got a couple special uh, plans for you. We want to go. We've talked about the Colts, obviously, a whole heck of a lot this offseason. We want to get a little bit more deeper into the other teams in the AFC South and what they have done throughout their offseason. Roster changes there, coaching changes there, whatever it might be, and see how they might newly line up with the Colts or square up or um, and all that. So. Uh, we'll talk about them. Uh, we'll start things off with the Houston Texans in the uh, in the coming days or coming weeks. Um, a team over the last five years has won the AFC South a couple times, uh, kind of like what the Colts had done throughout their 10 years of dominance. Houston has started up a little string of dominance on top of the AFC and South. And then two of the last three playoffs, they got smoked at home by the Colts, and Kansas City smacked them 30 to nothing that first round a couple years ago. Exactly. So... So we'll get into the Texans and Jaguars and the Titans, all those over the next couple weeks, and of course, bring back our Colts content as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow me at Dave G underscore Sports. You can follow Mike at M Chapel Five One. You can follow Joe at Roto Street Joe. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Download and subscribe to make sure you get us delivered to your inbox on a weekly basis. Until next week. Have a good one.